Okay, welcome back, everybody, to Ye Old Happy Hour with yours truly, Ryan O'Neill. Joining me today, this is going to be different because this is the first live episode I've ever done because it's, it's someone that lives with me. It's Ye Old. I keep saying Ye Old. I don't know why. It's the founding father. It's the founding father, out. yeah. It is my own old brother who we've had on the we've mentioned on the show before me and some of my guests i've got like my Ooh. tongue is tied I'll yeah we've talked about, about you a lot it's andrew o'neill everybody how you doing brother hey cyberspace what's going on cyberspace well you my friend brother own blood everything else that people use to talk about their family you've got it's, it's weird because you have a connection with everybody i've done an episode with on this show so far I don't know how many of the episodes you've listened to. Maybe none. I don't really mind it. But um, well, based on who I've heard, that checks out. Yeah, because I, I mean, I started with like we've run through all the Uno cards. So we've got Casey Spencer and Dalton. We got Christian. Yes. Uh, I mean, you don't form a bond with somebody without having to go see Spider Man and then not talk to them after the fact. You know, <laughs> it's true. That's a that's a life changing experience. <laughs> uh, and then one of the a couple of the recent episodes uh, was. Burke and Courtney, and we've known them from our Christmas party group, so yes, yeah. that's hard to not talk with them, and like I said, we've uh, we mentioned you a couple times in the show, so no pressure, no pressure. All good, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anything bad has ever been said, but we're going to dive right into this, so one of the things that I think most people know about you right off the bat is that you have, I mean, I'm looking right over here at the number of instruments you are a very musically yeah it's it's quite the collection you are a very musically inclined person you have been playing guitar for a while you learned bass right well faked my way through it that's one way to say it (laughs) faked your way through bass learned enough to get by yeah yeah uh and i mean you just have like you and spencer have bonded over your share of music that's true so like that's true how did that start because i honestly like it's weird to say because it's like i want to say like when did your love of music start but that's also just like when did you first hear a song that's true yeah well um i what i would point it to was um somewhere around middle school age is when i fell in love with rock and roll i remember we sang this song uh, it's my life by bon jovi in uh, music class, we just sang a bunch of contemporary songs, and that happened to be one of them. Of course, that led me to, uh, you know, You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, you know, all the Bon Jovi hits, and I loved those. Of course, Mom really loved them, too, so that helped. They'd play in the car every now and then. Uh, and then my childhood best friend, Will, also was really influential in that. His taste was impeccable, still is, and uh, he was good about introducing me to other bands I love, Def Leppard, Poison, Metallica, you know, those kinds of bands. And I fell in love with that kind of music so much that I wanted to mimic it. I knew I couldn't, like, I thought anyway, no way I could top it. You know, these are legendary artists, but to be able to learn it was in some way, like, my way of connecting with it. And so that's when I got my first guitar, and I had my dream of uh, learning Wanted Dead or Alive the first day I got the guitar. That never happened. Still hasn't happened. <laughs> Uh, maybe someday, but I did teach myself how to play over time. It was a slow process, but um, I've always said I think it's better that way because you kind of go at your own pace. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I'm, like, great these days, but I know my way around the chords and the songs, and I have a lot of fun with it. So right. that's when I would say it started. Yeah, and it's like it's interesting because, I mean, like you're saying, you can go at your own pace with it. Yeah, because, like, people who've done, like piano or like violin or anything like that some like the classical more fancy kinds of um music they have to be they have to like practice and learn at a certain pace whereas guitar it's like i want to try and learn like back in black or something like that right which would take time but it's like you can still do it whenever you want there's no like set point for it i think people either they teach themselves the instrument or they take lessons and people who take lessons and learn that's a great way to do it Typically, what I've heard is if you take a lesson, it becomes almost like a chore. Mm. And that can cause some people, not everyone, this is of course not a general rule, but it can cause some people to like fall out of love with playing. Versus if you're teaching yourself, you're very motivated and 
I mean, I remember the first song I learned how to play was uh, About a Girl by Nirvana. Really simple chord interchange. So when I played that, when I mastered it, I felt really, really good about myself. And that feeling was what propelled me to keep going. I feel like if I, it had been an obligation, like, you know, you have this um, practice or this appointment at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, you've got to know this, this, and this scale, you know, that would have been... You know, I don't want to learn that. I don't want to play Nirvana, you know? So yeah. that's that going at my own pace, I think, is what really allowed me to keep in touch with it. And I think it adds pressure, too, when you're being taught by someone else. It's like, this is somebody who has committed their life to this. Like, they have done this that's for so true. much time. Yes. And then also, like you're saying, it becomes a chore and it just becomes another responsibility you have to take care of at the end of the day. So it's like, it, it can very easily become something you're not a fan of anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad I kind of, you know took it at my own pace it was definitely a longer process I think and I mean I don't know a scale to this day so like there's some stuff I lost but definitely some stuff I gained by the fact that I'm still actually playing and involved with that I think so. yeah and like so since we've been living together I'll be real I haven't heard much of the guitar play but you still like you still play from time to time and whatnot and you even sure. play when you like your job is uh leading retreats and whatnot so like you play there too sometimes right it comes up yeah it yeah. comes up um part of my uh part of my job interview actually they asked me if i would be willing to play music for their uh for their masses and stuff oh, and right. so i of course i've done that and i've helped kind of organize that amongst the students and things so it it's continued to be a part of my life yeah so yeah. it's been a constant yeah and i mean you have also i guess this is how some people get started but also people just play what they like to hear You've also written your own stuff. That's true. Like, yeah. how many how many songs do you think you've written at this point? Uh, too many. Mm. Um, the first song I wrote was when I was a freshman in college, and um, up until that point, I had been, like I said, with my childhood friend Will, we like got together and quote unquote wrote songs every now and then. But I was always uh, really interested in poetry. Although at the time, I thought what I was writing was lyrics. Of course, it's really just poetry if it doesn't have any music attached to it. Right. So I wrote these lyrics with the intention of going back later and adding music to them. That never really happened. When I was a freshman in college, though, I wrote my first song and actually had music along with it. And it's just a really simple couple of chords, three chords or so, and it just ran through and it had the same kind of pace and there wasn't any huge instrumentation to it or whatever, but it was something that I'd like created out of nothing like by myself and so I remember feeling just in awe of that moment I still have the post-it notes I wrote it on somewhere around here and uh from then on it was something like okay you know I'm not going to become a, a, a rock star like selling out stadiums or whatever but I know that I can do this and so it was a really cool feeling and I um kept up with that I remember at at one point in the summer between my freshman year of college and sophomore year of college I was writing like a song, a new song every couple days. Because, I mean, you can write a decent couple verses worth of lyrics and have some chords attached to them. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but, like, it's a song, you know? And so yeah. I, I had those kind of in my back pocket. Ironically, it's been so long, I probably don't even remember how I wanted to play them anymore. But there are a couple that have stuck around, and I go back and revisit every now and then. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually written any new music since the pandemic started. Yeah. I don't know what the causation correlation thing is there but I, I did kind of move on to writing uh, fiction and poetry and stuff so I guess my creative energy just kind of shifted but I still do have a couple I would say maybe seven or eight original songs in my back pocket that I'm still very fond of and would pull out on occasion. Nice because you have done at least a couple of like your own uh, your own songs when you performed at Bellarmine's kind of music festival, Bellarue, mm -hmm. which, I mean, for people not Bellarmine associated, this is literally just Bellarmine's riff off Bonnaroo. So, like, yeah, it gets much. any students who want to do it, like, anyone who wants to, like, sing or just give their, like, musical talent, they can sign up for a time slot and they can go up on stage, they can go wherever it is, and they just perform. And it's really cool. Like, it's a great thing to do. It is. And you've done that, I'm trying to think, three, three times? Well, twice at the actual event, yes, and then when COVID happened and it got canceled in uh, April of 2020, I live-streamed my own show off of Facebook, so I still count that, yeah, so I say three, yeah. or at least two and a half, yeah. you know. That's why I counted the third one, because I remember when you were doing that, 
Like, it was getting close to the end of your set time. Mm-hmm. And uh, since we had to be at home for that amount of time, Mom and Dad were just like, all right, everyone, we're going to sneak downstairs and try to, like, applaud when he's done. And <laughs> I'm just like, oh, okay. That was, that was a nice surprise. I didn't see that coming at all. But Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I didn't think we were very sneaky. Those, those were new stairs, and they were very loud going down. Well, I heard, I heard somebody coming down, and I was just playing, and I thought it was Katie going into her room. And so I just oh. kept going, and then... Everyone popped out, and I was like, oh, this is this is fun. <laughs> yeah, those are always pretty, those were pretty fun events. I remember the first time you were doing it, I was actually late because I was coming out of a class, and I literally mm-hmm. booked it from the main campus up to where you were performing. I think it was on, like, the other side. Yeah. So it was, like, one yeah. side of campus to the other. I had to book it, and I was yeah, like, oh, my God. I got up there, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, God. I remember that too. I was, I was nervous as all get out, but man, that was so much fun. It was awesome. I was it was just me and this like piece of crap electric guitar that I'd bought for eighteen dollars a couple days prior, and I mean, it didn't last more than two weeks after that show, but it worked for that. So oh, that's, wow. all, that's all that matters. Yeah. So one of the other things I think you're known for, especially within like our friend groups and everything, but also within Bellarmine is your work in their peer ministry department, which mm-hmm. is like a subsection of residence life almost. They, uh, what would what would you say peer ministers are like responsible for? I don't know like how to phrase that really. But. I always said they were spiritual RAs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time it was just being a good listening ear, you know, somebody that was kind of dedicated to that. Uh, probably the thing we were most known and visible for was putting on our programs, which tended to focus on like spiritual expression or learning about different traditions or uh, stress relief and mental health stuff came up every now and then. So it was kind of a catch-all for that sort of thing, I would say. Yeah, but it's not like you weren't as responsible for most things as like an RA would be, obviously, because like they no, had all the responsibilities yeah. to maintain on the floor, but you guys were just there to like <laughs> offer advice or like you just said, be a listening ear or something like Pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. They used to be. I mean, they used to be way more involved than they were when I was doing it and than they were now. I never filled out a single incident report. I never um, was there when someone got busted for weed or something like that. Like, I was really kind of a behind-the-scenes person. Now, we were involved in stuff like uh, the big events, you know, putting Bellary together, putting the um, the Halloween event, Hall of Treats together. We were pretty directly involved with that. But it was more like... Um, like team effort kind of stuff when that was uh when that was the case yeah because as far as i can tell like that kind of stuff was like all hands on deck like anybody that was involved with residents like you are in some part responsible for making sure this flows smoothly that's true that's exactly how i would put it yeah now your peer ministry got to the point where you would tell people you were a peer minister so often our good friend katie got you a shirt that's true yeah that says did you know i'm a peer minister on the back i still have that shirt yeah yeah and it's like, it's weird because we we still bring that up sometimes. Like, if me, Spencer, and Dalton are in a class together or something, we'll just be like, hey, did you know Andrew's a peer minister? <laughs> it's like, anybody else who hears that is like, who the hell's Andrew? Why do we care? It's like, you don't, but yeah, did you Andrew's know? Andrew's a peer minister, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it is interesting. I, I work in ministry still, obviously, and so I kind of say I'd, I never really got out of it, but yeah. obviously I'm not really ministering to my peers anymore so it's a bit of a different scenario but yeah I mean that just became I told myself from the get-go it was going to be like part of my identity so that people knew who I was and what I was about immediately and I think that's because you know you have the word minister in your job title people tend to make all kinds of assumptions from that some good some bad some indifferent but trying to to jump over all those hurdles you know that that word or that title presents and just say hey like person to person, this is who I am, this is what I have to offer, that's what I was trying to go for. And most of the time I would say that that worked out okay. Okay, because I I didn't realize the context behind that, so I always just assumed you were going around telling people, like, hey, here's my job title, and that's about it. But Well, I was also really, really excited about it. Oh, okay, I mean, well, that, that's always good. That, that channeled very well, but I mean, I know that, like, I mean, I had um, a person who recognized me from being obnoxious about that, like, yell at me from across the parking lot at Bellarmine one time and said, hey, like, you're that God person, right? Like, on the floor. And I said, uh, yeah. And they were like, I have a question. And they said, okay. And I, they were like, does God hate me if I'm gay? And so, of course, that's like a really important moment. Yeah. Because that's what I'm talking about. All those assumptions that come with the word minister, like, that's part of it. And so I said, 
no, of course not. Like, God loves everybody, including and especially you. And and you could tell that they were surprised by it. They said, you really mean that? And I said, yeah, 100%. Hmm. They said, thanks. And I don't know if that one interaction changed their whole opinion of Christianity or of other ministers or even of me. But, like, I think that was an important moment. And those are the kinds of things I was trying to do. Like, kind of get past people's pre-expectations and, like, bring some humanity into Mm. it, I guess. Yeah. And I would say I did my best, you know. Whether I was perfect in that is a different thing, but... Yeah, well, nobody can ever be perfect. That's something all you can do is hope for the best. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they definitely... I say that you were... Very good at what you did, I'll say. And and so was every that. peer minister I ever met. Yes. Um, but you guys had it a little bit, not really rough, but it's like you were only part of like, what, a five-person team? Something uh, like that? Yeah. Yeah, five-person team. Yeah, so that I imagine would be a little difficult because there's still like more buildings on campus to be responsible for. That's in that true. Sense, but... We kind of understood it as, and they, they have a different philosophy these days, team's a little bigger. Our understanding at the time was that by the time you're an upperclassman, you've kind of either figured it out or you haven't. And not to say that, like, you should have everything figured out by the time you're a junior or senior in college, but, like, you've learned some life lessons and you're you're still growing, but you've got a better support system at that point. If you're a freshman coming into Bellingham for the first time from Seattle who doesn't know anybody, you don't have that. And yeah. so it's important for them to kind of know that they're taken care of. And so we really tried to focus our ministry on the freshman buildings. That's good. And um, it has grown past that, and I think that's a good thing. But, yeah, that was kind of the understanding at first. Yeah. So five-person team was, was pretty solid for that. Well, even that, yeah, that's like something else I didn't know was that you were kind of gearing it more towards underclassmen. Because it's true, like, at some point, like, there's a point when people are at Bellarmine that it just, like, it clicks that, like, you understand sometimes where you're at or where you're headed Versus when you're first coming in, you have no idea who the hell these people are or what the hell this city is. So it's like yeah. you need somebody else there to kind of help you out. It's an adjustment. Yeah. yeah. And, and some people don't use, like, some people don't go to these peer ministers oh, or not. But, like, yeah. they often will find their own kind of support groups as they go. So That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. It's crazy to see, too, because it's like, it's like if you worked on an orientation team or something, you could see, like, a group of people that's like still kind of getting to know each other, maybe not even attempting, like they're just nervous or something. Mm-hmm. But then you'll see them across campus a couple weeks later and they've got like 15 people around them just chatting. Yeah. And it's like, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. I would say so too. It's, you know, everyone comes in and they're kind of at the same, same place, you know, even if, yeah. uh, you know, people are coming from Indiana or from California or what have you, but like everyone's starting this brand new phase of their life. And so everyone kind of needs a, you know, for that little bit of time, I think you're all on the same team. And, of course, people form their own groups and stuff. And yep. that's just part of it. You know, you find what you need to get through. And, and we were there to make sure that we helped that process along as much as was appropriate. Yeah. I would definitely say, like, from my own experience, like, living in a freshman dorm, like, there were a lot of times you would walk through the lobby and there would be some, like, whether it was a peer minister or it was, like, some RA or at what they had at the time, the APAs. Yes. They, yes. they had, somebody would be sitting out there, like either just hanging out or doing something and you would just be able to sit down and talk with them or just go back today and meet up with your own crew or whatnot. And it, yes. it's still like both of those serve their purpose. Yeah, so. absolutely. You, you always had a wide variety of help, I feel like. And that's yeah. part of what made Bell and so great. Yep. All right. Well, we're just going to take a couple seconds not a couple seconds, it's a couple, like a minute long, but we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back with uh, probably another drink for me. <laughs> and we're back, okay. Man, those never get old. So, <laughs> one of the time travelers. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? See, going past the, to the second half of the show. Little known secret. Uh, podcast hosts are time travelers. Anyway, uh, one of the things that kind of baffled me when it really shouldn't have baffled me though like when you moved into this house because you were here before any of the rest of us were yes you suddenly just got really really good at cooking food (laughs) i had to i had to survive yeah (laughs) but like I i say i cook food and it means i throw mac and cheese in boiling water and i'm good to go for like two days but like you 
have learned recipes and stuff like you've gotten stuff offline off the internet and whatnot it's like where did that start because i now i need to do that well i think it really did come from necessity in that like one of the only things i knew how to cook well i knew how to cook scrambled eggs i knew how to cook pancakes i knew how to cook spaghetti and that was basically it and so i wanted to learn i didn't want to just eat those three things for the rest of my life you know i wanted to learn more and i think there was a link between learning those new recipes and learning the cocktail recipes because making drinks really became my quarantine hobby Mm. and if you're good at that you're going to be good at cooking because that's the same thing you're kind of understanding flavors and how like Certain techniques or things work to make something taste good, whether it's an alcoholic drink or a non-alcoholic drink or a piece of food, you know. And so I think that came along with it. And I, I, I do think another part of it was just, like, another outlet for my creativity, like coming hmm. up with a new way to make a pasta sauce or coming up with a new way to make a uh, whiskey sour, you know. Like, I just like to experiment with that kind of stuff huh. and be able to, like, not show off, but, like, kind of show off a little bit, you know? Like, it's a neat party trick to be able to whip spaghetti sauce up in five hours. I was about to say, your Snapchat videos say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a bit of showing off. Yeah. Like, a little bit of pageantry. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say that. Like, I've said this quote maybe once or twice. I heard it on another podcast where somebody described, like, the difference between baking and cooking, and they said... Baking is science. Cooking is jazz. Yes. Because, like, yes. like you're I saying, think. you can experiment with cooking. You can throw some, like, you can throw more garlic in there, or you can throw, like, less, or maybe you chop onions and throw it in there see how it, like, affects everything. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about that with cocktails, though. Well, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, yeah. you know, you're making something different, and you're working with different ingredients, typically, but it's about making something that tastes good. That's what it is, you know, really yeah. at its basic level. I feel like for both of those, it's still... A little bit of the like baking is science side because the first time you're doing it you have to get it exact so that yes. way you know what you're doing but then yes. times after that you get a little more confident with each time you make it and then you chuck some other stuff in there with the might of zeus absolutely then, yeah yeah it's interesting though because i mean the amount of cocktails you know how to make is more than i've ever heard of which is not, which is yeah good for you because that's skill, but also like it just shows how much I don't know about alcohol. Well, the uh, one of the things I found during quarantine was this video from a YouTube channel called Epicurious, which also makes a lot of cooking videos. So that's how these two things are also kind of linked, I guess. Gotcha. And it was um, like how to make every single cocktail, and it's like forty minutes long, and it's this guy who's like a master bartender at an upscale bar in New York, like. Making all these classic drinks and stuff. And of course he's not making every single one. Because that would be like, you know, how many different ways can you combine every fruit juice and every spirit and whatever. Yeah. But he's making a bunch of these. And I was like, that's just so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, whatever it is that clicked in me with that, I don't know. But like, it's cool to be able to go to a bar and say, hey, I'd like a Manhattan. Or hey, I'd like a, an Old Fashioned or something like that. Instead of just saying like... Give me a vodka and Sprite or something, because that's the only thing I knew how to order for a long yep, time. Yep, Like, that's still... It, that specifically is not, but that's all I really do is I just go get a mixed drink. I'm just like, hey, can I get a Jameson and ginger ale? Yeah. They never add the ginger ale. I'm <laughs> telling you, they never do. They say, oh, that must be code. Like, he just, <laughs> he just wants whiskey. He's they're had like, a hard I week. Hit him double. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting, because it's like... Yeah, when a video says, like, here's how you cook, here's how you make every cocktail, it's like, well, that can't be true, because that'd be, like, hours long. I think that's why I watched it. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a sudden disbelief in your titles. But But it's cool. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with the Nirvana song. Like, this guy makes this drink, and it's from the Prohibition, and he talks about the history behind it, and has all the ingredients. So I got the ingredients, I made it myself, I tasted it, I liked it, I was like now I can do this and it just I don't know it's just, there's that sense of accomplishment but yeah. also like it's cool to learn a new thing yeah and it comes in handy it's like you know if I learned French like there'd be very few instances I think in life in my daily life at least as it is now where I would use that but like at least you could do it when you do it's cool yeah, yeah. yeah. and like I don't make drinks all the time but like when I do it's kind of fun it's like, like do you know drink. like the kind of high I was riding when we were in Spain and I was able to 
say people's orders that to the waiter. Fun. I was like, I am the king of the damn world. I know Spanish and I'm here. Even though Oma is sitting two feet in front of me and she's been living in Spain for like years. I'm like, I, I hope you know I brag about that. I say, my brother knows Spanish. <laughs> he can hold his own in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Now people are going to come up to me later. Are you the brother that can hold his own Spanish? Like, no. Nope. Yeah. Lost it. <laughs> Lost my Spanish. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, it's true because like when even like you were still in college learning how to make cocktails and cook and all that. Mm-hmm. But now that you're graduated, that's suddenly become like I would say even more prevalent because like I mean you're still living on your own, you still got like you still gotta live and eat and all that, but like there it's like there was something that clicked with me noticing anyway. That was just like wow, Andrew knows how to make more food and stuff than he used to because you're right, you <laughs> used to make breakfast like a champ. Yeah. But yeah. Come like still dinner do. week. Yeah. <laughs> still do. Maybe more so now, but yeah. Hey, biscuit belly doesn't count as you making it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, that's that's just because I put the butter on the pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but like, um, yeah, but it was weird because like I started noticing that, and then we were at the beach during this past summer, mm-hmm. and you were like, "Yeah, uh, Olivia and I, your wonderful girlfriend, you were like, we'll cook up this." Uh, like, you called it a Jamaican pasta dish or something like that. It wasn't Jamaican, though. No, it was um, it was this video I saw on Facebook, and they called it, like, a Cajun mm. a Cajun, uh, Cajun sausage pasta, something like that. Because yeah. it had a lot of, it had some seasonings and spices in it and whatnot. But, I mean, the way I see it, it's just a, a dang good pasta dish. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was so good. That is a, a fan favorite for sure. I love that. Yeah, I keep asking you to teach me, and we have to do that at some point. Because Got the sausages in the freezer. It's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah sometimes sweet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that because that stuff is really, really good. Yeah. You told me you made it one day, and you're like, hey, there's a Tupperware in the fridge for you. I was on it. I was downstairs <laughs> immediately. Well, whenever I make that recipe, it's a lot. So, I, yeah, it, it helps to helps to have people who like it around yep. here. It doesn't go to waste. Yeah. But I want to get... How do I say... Like, maybe a little bit deeper into this because I want to hear about, like, how... And this is a heavy question, so if you're not ready for it, I apologize. Sorry, sorry. I want to hear about how your life outside of college has been, because mm-hmm. I mean, you're a recent graduate. You graduated last spring, mm-hmm. so like this is all still a, a little new. Like you've kind of acclimated to it, but it's still like I'm not a student anymore. It's a little weird, right? It is, yeah. And, I, and that's what I tell people. It's um, like one minute you're a, a student and then one minute you're not. And there were 20 years in between those moments where yeah. like, you know, you, you're suddenly not in school anymore. And I, I do think it's easier for me because I work at a school now. So I'm still mm-hmm. kind of in that environment, like obviously in a different role than I used to be. But it's still, you know, I'm still interacting with students and with teachers and coworkers and staff and like. You know, I, I worked at Bellarmine before. I did some interning at DeSales, my high school. So I was kind of like in that, I'm in the school environment, but I'm working kind of stage. So yeah. it, it's easier for me than I think it is for a lot of my classmates or for most people who go through that. But it has been kind of strange. And um, the thing that I always think is funny is when I was in college, I always brag about how I never had to read Romeo and Juliet for a class. No matter how many English classes I took, I was an English major in school. Uh, never read it in high school, college. I took a whole class on Shakespeare, never touched Romeo and Juliet. Really? And then the summer after I graduated, I read Romeo and Juliet for fun. And I read a lot of Shakespeare for fun. And I think part of the reason was I just missed that, like missed reading those great books and talking about them and like studying them. I read Paradise Lost. After uh, college, I read uh, The Sun Also Rises, Hemingway. I read some um, The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, you know, just stuff like that that, like, gives you something to chew on and isn't, like, a James Patterson novel. No offense to James Patterson if he ever hears this. Like, <laughs> Listen, if James Patterson ever heard this, that'd be a huge honor. <laughs> it's like, putting that out there right now. James, I used to worship you. Like, call me. <laughs> <laughs> let's get Listen, James, let's get a deal going. Like, I missed it. I really do. Mm. And I know that nothing that I ever do will be like what college was again. Although I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but it definitely was an adjustment. Yeah. I mean, you... I mean, it it baffles me that it's like... You went back and read Shakespeare and Hemingway for fun. Because, like, 
Those people, are people read for fun sometimes, well, man. You gotta understand. <laughs> blowing my mind. No, I, it's like it's interesting because those are books that's like you always hear people read in school and they hate it. But you picked that up and was like, I'm gonna have fun with this. But I yeah, guess it's like I missed it. I yeah, mean, you just wanted something that you wanted, like you said. I always love to read. I always love to read, mm. and I kind of fell off it when I got to college. Just had a lot going on. And then my sophomore year in the fall semester, I took the Faulkner class uh, that was really influential to me. That's the class that motivated me to change my major. I started out, um, well, I started out in education, but that's a whole other story. I started out theology and history, and then I decided I didn't really like the history part so much, and so I switched to theology and English, and that was the class that did it. And reading those Faulkner books was so difficult. It was a really hard class, but like, I loved it, and I forgot how much I loved reading a really good book. And so ever since then, like, I didn't like everything that we read for my English degree. I would say maybe, like, out of every three books or poems or authors that we read or whatever, I liked two of them. And so I was running into a lot that I didn't like, but a lot that I really did like. Yeah. And I liked some Shakespeare. You know, I, I, I didn't hate every play we read. I, I wouldn't go back and read Much Ado About Nothing or uh, Henry the Fourth again, probably. But, like, Macbeth was cool. And yeah, I didn't, was- like... I didn't realize that until then. You know, I think you got to mature a little bit before you dig into that stuff. And Hemingway's a lot of fun, too, if you get it in the right mindset. So it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of everything. But, like, I walked away with a lot of cool stuff in my back pocket. And I did miss talking about that. Mm-hmm. I did. Still kind of do. But. Yeah. I mean, you just brought up Faulkner. Like, you gifted me a book of his for Christmas, like, the year before the pandemic started or something like that. Yeah, I Sound and the Fury. still haven't gotten through that book. Which shows what a, a pretentious uh, person I was to say, have <laughs> Sound and the Fury, like, good luck. You gifted everybody in our family some kind of book, but with everybody you had to have a letter written out about why you gave this book to that person. So at least I put some thought into it. I still I have that I letter. I just chucking stuff off my shelf. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, Sound and the Fury was, um, I say that the most important class I ever took well, okay. The most important class I took in college was philosophy because that really taught me how to think and argue and think critically about stuff and all that, mm-hmm. which is important. The second most important class I took was art history because I hated it. I really struggled through it. That was one of the few C's I got in college. But after I made it out of that class, I said, if I can pass this, I can pass anything. And there was never a class that came after that where I was like, I'm going to fail this mm-hmm. because I knew it. I made it through art history, so I was capable of anything. And that's kind of what Sound and the Fury was to mm. me when I made it through that. And uh, our professor, Dr. Connor Pickin, told us that. He said, you know that if you make it through this, you're going to be proud of yourself for just getting through it. And I for sure was. And I said, if I can read this book and understand it, kind of, you know, I can do anything. Huh. And that's what was really important about that book for me. There's some great stuff in there, like with the plot and whatnot, but that was really it. Yeah. I mean, if you want a good Faulkner book, there's plenty of them that are a little bit easier, but... So that's going to give you something to chew on. I no kidding. Like just trying to get through some of like the dialogue, it's a nightmare. But yes, because I mean I've kind of spoiled myself with like as I was reading through grade school, I kind of dropped it in high school just because I was like I'm I'm not going to do this. Even though, sorry, mom and dad, we had to read for school, and then I just never did it. Um, <laughs> but you got the diploma. <laughs> I got it. That's all that counts. Um, like I've picked books back up again, and they're all like. Like, anytime there's dialogue said, it'll have so-and-so said. And then it'll be so-and-so <laughs> said. But then it'll go to, like, just the quotes, and it's like, all right, you can kind of gauge from there. I'm trying it's to read something. how important oh. that, those punctuation marks. Oh, my God, it is. Because now it's like, I don't know who's talking at this book, but, it, you know, it's something. So I'm, I'm trying to keep going through it, but it's just, it's tough. It's a tough book. Yes, but, it, it for sure is. Yeah. Um trying to think i literally had a thought lined up and then we got on that tangent and i completely forgot about it but um you know what ironically thoughts lining up and then going off on a tangent is exactly what the first chapter of sound and the fury is all about (laughs) (laughs) maybe you understand it more than you think (laughs) i embody the sound and the fury (laughs) man that yeah it's what art history was seriously one of the only c's you got in college it was yeah, well, I mean, I was in the honors program, like, humble brag, and that was a, you had to have a 3.5 GPA to stay in that, so oh, that was, okay. it was a challenge at times, but yeah, art history was one of the only C's I got, and I mean, gotcha. a lot of those classes, like the English and theology classes, if you try, 
and like do the work and don't fall behind or anything like that, you're going to do fine. Yeah. I mean, the professors there are not like out to get you. Yeah. So that, that helped. And I was like, I've, I'm a pretty good writer and writing all the time for both of those majors really helped to sharpen that. So by the time I got to be a senior, I was writing papers in my sleep. I mean, it was uh-huh. no big deal. And that's what a lot of those classes were. But art history was a different beast because it was a lot of memorization and I have horrible memory. And so, like, it was, like, a different kind of learning that I wasn't ready for. And I gotcha. made it out okay, but, like, dang it, there were some close calls with that. Yeah, I was just, like, I, oh, like if I got a C in a class, I was like, I passed. doesn't matter. Like, move on to the next one. Oh, yeah. But that certainly was proof during my freshman fall semester because that was a train wreck of a semester it's always an adjustment it doesn't matter how good of a student yeah. you are in high school like college is different and people don't prepare you for that very well yeah it's it's weird because like high schools like i talked about this with courtney a couple weeks ago but it's like i feel like our high school DeSales high school um it, it claims itself as a college preparatory school mm-hmm and in some regards, they absolutely are. They absolutely excel at that. But then also, they don't really prepare you for how much of an adjustment it's going to be. Like, I feel like some of them, some of the teachers were just like, yeah, you can do this now, but come college, you'll never be able to skid by like that again. Everybody's skidding by like that. <laughs> we're ice skating out here. Especially now, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like there were some points, and maybe it was just because I was not a great student, where it was like, I I personally felt like I hadn't been prepared for college as much as I should have been. Now, granted, again, I may not have been paying attention when they were trying to prepare me for it, mm-hmm. but they really undermine how much of an adjustment it really is for some people. But I think if you if you have a co- high school that's calling themselves a college preparatory school, it usually boils down to two things. One is ACT prep, which uh, the minute you take the ACT or SAT and get the score you want, you're done, and that's basically all it does for you. Mm. The other thing is, like, the workload. And private schools like that tend to have a higher workload than public schools do. That nothing good, bad, or indifferent, that's just fact. And that is part of what I think prepares you for college because, like, there is a lot of work that comes with it. Right. But as far as an adjustment of, like, how to study or how to live, like, if you're living on campus, of course, you know, how much can a high school really do to prepare you for that? Right. or how to write papers and stuff like that, or how to do research. I had no idea how to do research until, like, halfway through college. Neither did I. But, like, it's something you got to learn. And, yeah, I feel like, you know, again, part of it is there's only so much a high school can do to prepare you for that, but the focus does tend to be on the wrong things, I think, especially because, like, you know, like I said, ACT prep is only good for, like, a couple of years, and then you're done. Yeah. So what else is there? Well, even with, like, ACT prep, which is, like, what a lot of colleges pride them, or not colleges, um, well, I guess colleges and high schools, they kind of pride themselves on, like, accepting only the best, and, like, they will post certain, like, I don't know, certain, like, results or percentages or something like that, of, like, here's how good our students are with the ACT. Mm-hmm. But Bellarmine has, like, I don't know if this was, like, a one-semester thing or not, but I think they dropped ACT requirement. Well, a lot of schools are starting to go test-optional. Yeah, standardized test optional. So you don't have to necessarily have that score. You can report it if you want to. If you feel like you did pretty good. Yeah. But you don't have to. You're right. So that's, I mean, it, it's already starting to kind of phase itself out. Which I think is, is better. Because it's I like, if you were really looking at a student's qualifications based off of one standardized test, like the ACT or the SAT, like, I think that says more about the kind of university you are rather than this, the work ethic of the student. Yes, but standardized testing does not tell you very much about the quality of work a student can do. Yeah. Most of it's guessing. It I mean, is. Realistically. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're terrible at math. Yes. That is so much guessing. Yes. Um, but kind of circling back to, like, life outside of college, mm-hmm. I, I feel like kind of going on this train of, like, being prepared for stuff. I really feel like certain colleges... I'm a little biased because Bellarmine is doing a pretty good job of it. I feel like they prepare people for, like, job markets a little bit better because they have resources on campus that help yes. you out with that kind of stuff. And Absolutely. then you can even go back to those once you're out. Mm-hmm. So, like, did you did you do that? For... I did, yes. Yeah. I took advantage of Bellarmine's alumni mentor program 
which paired you up with somebody who was kind of in your field and you got to talk and do like mock interviews and stuff. And that was really helpful. Yeah. Um, I was paired up with a, this is when I thought I was still going to go into teaching. I was paired up with a theology teacher from St. X, uh, Dr. Malowitz, who's really, really good and always willing to answer any questions I had. And he looked over my resume for me uh, when I went to apply for the job I have now. Also took advantage of the uh, uh, Career Development Center at Bellarmine, which a lot of colleges have some version of. And it was a, uh, they were really helpful in putting my cover letter together and my resume together and um, kind of organizing like, you know, what information should I put where? Because like I had my resume written, but like I hadn't touched it in years. So I had to right. dust it off a little bit and I ended up getting the job. So I, I feel like I, <laughs> I definitely owe them, you know, for helping me out with that. Yeah. I mean, they're good about like, I mean, I just said it, but they're really good about like making sure like these resources are available to you. They will That's flash you with this stuff and like, That's a fact. look at this. Here's what's available. Here's some upcoming events where you can learn to do this kind of stuff. Go to them. Yes. I never did until this year, so. I mean, better late than never, really. Yeah. And by the time you're a senior, that's when you're starting to think about that stuff. So it's true, that yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, there it goes again. I've lost my train of thought once again. But, um, you know what? We're actually going to switch some topics around. Because okay. if I keep going down this one, I'm going to lose more trains of thought. I cannot do that. Um I I've joked with you a couple times about this, like before we did this, that you threw off the formula of the show. Okay, <laughs> when I requested that you come on, like, what eight hours ago? Something like that. Yeah, I was. Um, I always do this show, and for people like returning listeners and maybe some new ones, fingers crossed. Um, I always ask my guest how we met, but since you're my brother, I feel like that's kind <laughs> of already answered. <laughs> Neither of us remember it, so we don't. Um, yeah. That. Um, so I instead I wanted to talk about, like, this is kind of us bragging about growing up together and like mm-hmm. some of those crazy moments. Um, and this is actually going to circle back to your music. Do you remember when we were kids, like really, really young? You tried to get it, not really young, but like you tried to start a band with, like, all four of us, in the basement. I don't remember that, but I don't put it past me, certainly. <laughs> I found a video. What was that? Oh, man, it was like my seventh or eighth grade year, something like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. This is, I think, when you were first starting to get into rock and roll. Um, I mean, it checks out. Yeah. You had the us three brothers, so you, me, and then our younger brother, down in the basement, and you had made like a drum set out of a roll of insulation (laughs) a few like toy buckets and something else i don't know what it was but you were just like this is our drum set and it's like (laughs) we don't have anything else like really like do you you have sticks (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what you used for sticks oh my goodness i don't put that past me at all i really i really wanted that like that rock and roll spirit i was so into it yeah and i loved it yeah so i don't I guess I I can definitely see me trying to drag you all along to start him, but like, <laughs> you know. I mean, if anything, this right here is just karma for that. I brought you on here to do my thing. <laughs> we help each other out every now and then. Every now and then, yeah, that's true. Um, I'm trying to think. Do you have any, like, memories of growing up that really, really stick out to you? Because, like, oh, obviously, we're in our 20s. It's been a long time, but, I mean, like, our house that we grew up in we've recently moved out of Mm -hmm. and i mean we've just recently moved out of our family's newer house too yeah so it's like we've completely left our old nests behind the thing that i always talk about with people because they you know especially me still getting to know my coworkers, they always they always want to know how many siblings i have and so i say i have two younger brothers and a younger sister and the questions i always get are uh what was that like and uh how did your sister survive? Those are the two I've gotten those a couple like times, that. yeah. And the thing that I always say to what was that like, I think, like, it was really nice to have four kids growing up because whenever we wanted to do any activity that involved teams, two and two. That was it. Basketball or our weird baseball games in the yard. Like, oh, man. We always had, a, we always had two people for a team, so that was kind of nice. Yep. And, you know, we were all kind of close in age, so it made that fun. And, um. And then, how did your sister survive? I truly don't know. I think she made it out more or less okay, but, like, 
that's something else. But she I do grew think up we with had brothers. A, like she had to fight. It's true. She became a fighter. That's all right. Yeah. We had a good a good thing going growing up. I truly don't think I would want four kids. I say my max is two. I've always said that as well. Yeah. After seeing all the scheduling and four coaching basketball teams at a time that dad did and all the paying for school for four kids. I mean, I still don't know how they did it, but man, yeah. was it fun. People but, always want to ask like. How did your sister survive that? Screw that. How did our parents survive that? They had to put up with four little monsters running around. I'm still trying to wonder how I survived that. So there's that going on too. You were the top dog. Like, we couldn't fight that. Well. We tried. That's true. But that's it didn't true. work. Um, one of the things I think I just remembered. Um, I really traced this back to when you wanted to start teaching. We did a really stupid thing that for some reason we found really fun. Was we had, um, I really don't know why we thought this was fun. We had school in our house. Like, we weren't homeschooled. Oh, but like, yeah, yeah. We had you be the teacher <laughs> and teach us nonsense. <laughs> that was so much fun. I do think about that sometimes. Like, dang it, like, I really always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I just yeah. didn't really acknowledge it for a while. And it was so weird because it's like, we would do it. Like, we would beg you to do it. And then I would try to be the class clown that got kicked out of the classroom every time. And you I'm like Scott both. Yeah, and looking back, I'm just like, why the hell would I want to do that? No student I will ever have will be as awful as you two were. <laughs> That's true. You guys really set me up there. Yeah, we did. I think that helps us. Set, I think we really helped you set up your patience. We made you a better man because of that. You know what? I'm not going to deny that at all. But then we kind of we escalated. I like we only did this a couple times. With some of our neighborhood friends, we tried to play lawyer. Like, this was, like, a couple times off, where somebody would have to be the judge. I remember that with our cousins. Yeah, they got into an argument about something. I was like, let's set up court. (laughs) Let's let's go all the way here. Yeah, we really just said, you're having a squabble over a video game? Court, right now. Mm -hmm. Jail. Right to jail. I don't know why I thought... I mean, we didn't watch, like, Law & Order or anything like that growing up, so I don't know where I got that, but... I mean, it worked. I remember in that instance, at least, like, they didn't fight anymore. Like, they, got, they yeah. got a chance to both say their piece, and that was that. Yeah. Points for the uh, American judicial system in that case. <laughs> it worked for 12-year-olds. It can work for you. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, that was crazy because it was like, we um, we did that. They didn't fight for the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, they still hadn't fought for, like, years after the fact. It was like, oh, that really worked. Well, I mean, obviously, we didn't realize this as kids, but... I think when you're frustrated like that and you're tensed up and you're fighting, like, all you really want is to be heard. And yeah. so, like, if you give someone a chance to just, like, say their piece and, like, where they're coming from, like, that's going to do a lot to de-escalate that kind of thing. Right. I do that. I mean, well, I haven't run into this with my job currently yet, but I did this with the preschoolers a lot. Mm. Or, like, the kids that I was uh, working with at the YMCA when I was camp counselor, I'd say, like, oh, yeah. they'd be pissed about something and I'd be like, dude, like, what's wrong just sit and talk to me about it yeah and they would tell me and i say okay you realize like like okay i hear you or okay you realize that's not really how it is right because this this and this and i mean it didn't work every time but typically they tended to calm down after that because they'd at least been heard and they knew that and that was more than they got at the time yeah i feel like that still boils down to a lot of problems now it's just like kids just need an ear they need someone to talk to i think that really helped out when you got to your ministry because it was like you were carrying that it's just like oh maybe sometimes people just need to be heard and then there were a lot of life lessons i got from working with kids still are yeah i mean you you learn all kinds of stuff the thing that always sticks out to me is uh this kid when i was at the preschool he was in the junior kindergarten class and he was talking to me about something he's like they called me mr andrew back then it's usually mr o'neill these days they said uh mr andrew did you know that if the power goes out all you have to do is flick the switch and the lights come back on I said, dang, son, I never thought about it like that. Like, <laughs> I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I've been going out of the fuse box and stuff, like, messing around with the switches. But of course, like, it's not how power outages work. But it's just so funny. Like, you learn so much with kids like that. Like, Man, they if just... that kid is listening now, you just ruined his whole perception of reality. He's been trying to flick a switch on and off when the power goes out. It's just like, it's not working. Well, it's been four years. I hope he found out by now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone told him. That one's on him. Yeah. I think another question I get when... We get asked if, like, I mean, we've been asked a couple times, is like, have you two always been this close? Because, like, yeah, obviously when you grow up with somebody, like, it's one of two things can happen. You either become, like, really, really close, mm-hmm. or you hate each other's guts. 
Well, we kind of had both. We did. There's no kind of about it. We had both. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And it's like, it baffles some people. They're just like, what? You weren't always that close? I'm like, no. Things happen. Yeah, they did. And I mean, the one instance I can think of, it's a really stupid thing. Well, not for us at the time. I mean, like, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, looking back at where we were at that point, like, what was going on? And, and this is kind of the case for every, like, for a high schooler, for someone in middle school or whatever, like, all you have is the right now. And so when that's kind of thrown into question for whatever it is, like, it is a big deal. Yeah. And that's something I think a lot of adults don't realize when they're working with kids is, like, you've got wisdom, you have experience, you've been around the block a time or two, but the kid you're talking to hasn't. Like, all they've got is what they're having. And so, yeah. like, you got to kind of get on that level to help them work through it. And I guess I kind of, like, dragged that train to a halt a little bit what you were trying to get at. But, like, that's, you know, for us at the time, like... Everything was kind of real, but now, of course, we look back on it and we're like, why did we let that stop us from having a good relationship? But yeah. I think it also kind of taught us to value what we have, you know what I mean? Uh, I think so, yeah. But, like, even then, like, there were certain points where I was just thinking to myself about the whole situation. We really, I've told the story so many times to people in the past, like, mm-hmm. I just don't need to say it again. But, like, there were so many times during that instance, I was just like, why am I angry again? And I would come up with some <laughs> bogus reason. I'm just like, Oh, yeah. You'd rather, also, you'd rather justify it than, like, admit you were wrong. Yeah, yeah. I get that. And, it was, and now I'm just like, you moron. <laughs> but um, it's, you know. it's so weird. Can't go back and change the past. Yeah. And that's happened. Um, luckily, that's only happened the one time that I can remember. Yeah. Um, and so I guess now we're kind of on that good streak again. I would say so. So. Yeah. I mean, we're living in another house together, so are, <laughs> fingers yeah, crossed. Say, okay, like, he, he's good. I'll keep him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're not putting you up for adoption we'll yet. kick his ass out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, all right. Well, that kind of burns through, like, all the notes I had. I don't know if you had anything else cooking up in the, the old noggin or not, but. That's, I think this is good. You know, huh? 52 minutes is solid stuff. Yeah, it's pretty good. I honestly... Earlier during one of our conversations, I thought we'd been going much longer, but hey, you know, whatever happens, happens. And cheers so. to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, got to get a drink before the outro. I want to thank everybody for listening to this. Andrew, I want to thank you for making any appearance, making marking the first live episode. Thanks for having me. It was so, fun. Yeah, it was a good time. So uh, I want to, again, thank you all for listening. Come back next week where I hopefully have another guest lined up. Uh, more... Good drinks. Yeah, yeah, more good drinks. And um, I guess more good times. So we'll see you all in the next episode. Adios.